Across the country and around the world, across the street and around the corner, this is Over the Culture. This is Over the Culture podcast, where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. You also get to hear about things I don't like, like rain when I have to drive in it. I, I can't stand the rain when I drive in it. And I'm your bastard of ceremonies, the one gig kid, Pat Stay Black, Alex Black, Reefer Sutherland, Loop Fly Talker, the most interesting blurred in podcasting, the troller of trolls, the prince of petty, Steve G. It's October 3rd, 2021. 21. And uh, yeah, man, today was all breezy, easy, Sunday morning. Word to Lionel Richie. And I was at work earlier when it was breezy and easy. This Sunday morning, going into the afternoon, going into the early evening. And by the time I got off this early evening, it came down. Started drizzling. And then it damn near became torrential. I be hating that shit. I love the rain when I don't have to drive in it. Now I'm home, I'm looking through my bay windows, and uh, yeah, I got a bay window in my bedroom, and no bay. How, Sway? Pourquoi? But the thing about dating in Atlanta, I wish I got a disclaimer before I moved down to this motherfucker. Yes. We are outnumbered, us men. The, the ratio is just, I don't know, I hear different numbers, it's 16 to 1. 17 women, 30 women to every man, I don't know. Yes, there's a lot of women down here, a lot of fine sisters down here. It's Chocolate City in this motherfucker. However, these motherfuckers are petty. And what I'm realizing, and you know, I really think this is some Atlanta uh, big city shit. These women treat this dating shit like it's a game they have no problem playing merry-go-round on the dating scene I ain't got time for that shit if I like you I like you and I'll entertain other fuck shit I I don't want to have to be forced to date multiple people at the same time because that's just too much work I'm going to forget names I'm going to forget the context of our previous conversations yeah, so your favorite color is red, uh, yellow, blue. Ah, oh, shit, that was the other motherfucker. Uh, it's too much goddamn work. And you will get dismissed for just the smallest minute shit. And I get it. We all have our deal breakers. But I let people know I smoke. I don't have kids. All, all of the shit that I feel that is relevant in dating someone, the shit is on my profile on all of these little date naps. So when I pull out a blunt, when I pull out my vape, don't act like I'm pump faking because I told your ass I smoke occasionally, not sometimes, not every once in a while, often. And then, you know, what's the point of asking a woman what her deal breaker is? Because she'll say so. Oh, it's this, that and the third. And you're listening to it and you're like, oh, well. I don't do those things. I, I don't have those issues. Uh, well, I think this will work. 
And then a couple weeks down the line, this deal breaker just mysteriously pops up in her head like, oh, you know what? You do that thing. Uh, you know, uh, this ain't gonna work. Well, motherfucker, why? You told me about the previous guy and how he didn't do this or that. I'm doing all that shit. I'm capable of pulling off that shit. Now, all of a sudden, this is a huge gripe for you. This is a, a major concern, a deal breaker. Red flag. However, though, I will say about dating in Atlanta, when one door closes, another will open. You just got to press on, persevere. Get back on that app, swipe right, swipe left. Oh, okay. Hey, what are you doing? Huh? Nothing. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. So what brings you to Bumble? Tinder, plenty of fish. Hinge. Uh, I don't know. Just checking for cool vibes and seeing where it goes from there. Okay. Huh. All right. Well, I want to meet up at this place. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, you're cute. Want to come back to the crib? Okay. Uh-huh. All right. And the game goes on. Dating in Atlanta. Uh. But yeah, man, R. Kelly's going to jail jail. What's up with that? It's uh, it's not surprising. I'm sure if you're not under a rock, we all know that the Pied Piper is going to pay the piper. <laughs> and uh, people are trying to, you know, be the boy that cried wolf when it comes to this man. But yeah, but what about Epstein? And what about us? <clears throat> what about those motherfuckers? R. Kelly was doing some devious shit with little girls. Yes, he made great music, but fuck that shit. He better hope he can fly now, because they ain't got no closet for that motherfucker to be trapped in just sales cold hard sales I saw somebody say that all of R. Kelly's uh, supporters and defenders are a part of the Peahive and I found that witty and hilarious but yeah man I I just uh, there are some tracks if it pops up on the playlist uh, I'll, I'll let that I'll let that ride. Some tracks. I'm not even gonna lie to you. The motherfucker got bangers. But I'm not proactively seeking Robert Kelly on the Spotify's. Nah. Apparently the Fugees are on tour and the tickets cost a goddamn car note. Have they lost their fucking minds? Lauren, are you still on the stuff? $300? $300? The Wu-Tang Clan doesn't even charge that much. And there's nine of those motherfuckers. And they're better. And speaking of LaWu, I hope you've been watching the series on Netflix, the Wu-Tang, uh, what is it, the Wu-Tang Saga? Excellent production. This previous episode, they did a reenactment of how the song Bring the Ruckus came about. And it was brilliant the way they did it. You know, they they 
brought out every rapper individually and they're they're doing their verses from ODB to Jizza and Rizza, uh Meth, Raekwon, Ghostface. And uh, that, that was kind of the highlight, the focal point of this previous episode. And, and I love how it's coming together piece by piece. They're still in the beginning stages of Wu-Tang Clan because the album, uh, they're, they're working on uh, the 36 Chambers, their very first album back in 93. Um, I hope this season, I hope this series continues for at least another fucking, I don't know. Give us at least four or five seasons total. Right now, we're in season two, and I I can't wait till they get to the point of Wu-Tang Forever, which is, in my opinion, the greatest hip-hop album of all time. Wu-Tang, from the redundancy department of the redundancy department, that's my favorite group. And Wu-Tang Forever is the best album they've ever put out. And also over the week, they announced the the halftime performers of the Super Bowl uh, for this upcoming season or for this upcoming Super Bowl. Uh, And it's going to be Dr. Dre, Eminem, Mary J. Blige, Kendrick Lamar and Snoop Dogg. Wow. wow. Yeah, man. How about a uh, a Nate Dogg hologram? Because I know it's the Super Bowl. Y'all motherfuckers can afford it. Shit. I mean, you know, Nate Dogg was an integral part of the death row movement, man. Want to hear some, uh, you know, I, then again, you know, the, some of the tracks that he was on, it's probably not Super Bowl NFL friendly, but it would be great to see the late, great crooner. The, I don't know what you, the, In a way, he's kind of like the Barry White of hip-hop. I'm sure there's a better comparison. But he did his thing, man. And uh, I, I can't help but think, like, man, what kind of shit would he do now if he was still alive? With all these newer guys, uh, you know. Can you imagine what a Nate Dogg and Kendrick Lamar collab would be like? Nate Dogg and... J. Cole, Nate Dogg and Lil Baby. There was a time when whenever he would pop up or be featured on somebody's single, he was like Midas. Everything he touched was selling. Shit was popping. He had a nice run, man. R.I.P. Nate Dogg. Uh, On Friday... Meek Mill released his latest, Expensive Pain. It's 55 minutes and one second, 18 tracks. And I've seen some people say that the album is trash. Uh, Don't let these people lie to you. Listen for yourselves, uh, because it's just cool to hate. I I feel like it's just a knee-jerk reaction to hate. Uh, And people just want to hate on Meek Mill for whatever reason. You know, motherfuckers just want to see motherfuckers fail. But on this album... Expensive pain, he did not fail. With these features, Lil Baby and Lil Dirk, with the song uh, Sharing Locations, that shit got added to the playlist. Uh, Fuck With Me, uh, featuring ASAP Ferg, that got added to the playlist. Hot, the song Hot featuring Moneybag Yo, that shit is probably number one or number two as far as like my favorite tracks on this album. 
uh, he's featuring Giggs, Young Thug, uh, Vori, Lil Uzi Vert, uh, Brent Fires, uh, and even Lil Snoop. Oh no, that's the name of the song, Angels, uh, and in parentheses, R.I.P. Lil Snoop. But yeah, man, Expensive Pain, check that out. As well as Lil Wayne and Rich the Kids joint venture, Trust Fund Babies. That one is 10 tracks in 28 minutes, 33 seconds. Uh, this is Vintage Wayne. He's going the fuck off from track one. Feeling like Toonchi. Headlock. Trust Fund. Admit it. Shh. That's the name of a track. Shh. Big Boss. Still. Bleeding. Buzzing. Uh, and yeah, yeah. I added about half of these, man. There's 10, uh, 10 songs total. Uh, I think I added about four or five. But I'm going to be talking about things that's October 3rd. Things that happened on October 3rd in pop culture. On October 3rd, 1960, the U.S. sitcom The Andy Griffith Show premiered in, on CBS. It ran until 1968. That show was on for eight years. I used to watch that a lot with my grandma. Uh, that following year, 1961, The Dick Van Dyke Show, created by Carl Reiner, starring Dick Van Dyke, premiered on CBS. Uh, another one of my favorite shows <laughs> that I watched with my granny. Uh, and on that same day in 1961, TV sitcom Mr. Ed premiered on CBS. Uh, uh, that show's stupid. Uh, nothing. I, I don't think that shit could exist uh, in today's day and age. Uh, I think it, it only existed because it was like at the the genesis of television. Uh, we got this talking horse, and I don't know that that show lasted for a couple years, uh, way longer than it should have. But I digress. Uh, in 1983, during a live NBC News update, anchor Jessica, Jessica Savage appears incoherent, slurring her speech and deviating from her copy and ad-libbing her report. Savage, dogged by rumors of drug abuse and instability, still has her contract renewed, but drowns in a car accident three weeks later. Uh, R.I.P. Uh, in 1984, Charles in Charge premiered on CBS. Charles in Charge is a piece of fucking shit. Scott Bayo's a trumper who doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, 1988, on October 3rd, TNT, the fourth cable network owned by Turner Broadcasting, commences programming with the broadcast of the movie Gone with the Wind. In 1990, Florida record store owner Charles Freeman is found guilty of obscenity for selling two live crew rap records. Man, fuck that shit. Long live Uncle Luke. In 1991, Scarface releases his first solo album, Mr. Scarface is Back. Uh, 1992, Sinead O'Connor stirs up controversy when she rips up a picture of the Pope on the U.S. television show Saturday Night Live. And uh, I didn't watch this when it happened, but I do remember the uproar, the, the, the media just going crazy over this shit because it was the Pope. And I mean, I mean, I... I don't know if it, 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 yeah, it probably ruined her career, but I'd never listened to any of her music anyways. 1995, Dub C and the Mad Circle released Cubs Curb Servant. 
1995 on that same day, more than 150 million people tune in to watch the verdict on the M- on the OJ murder trial, which ends with Simpson being found not guilty of murdering his ex-wife Nicole Brown Simpson and her friend Ronald Goldman. The verdict is met with both praise and criticism. And I, I was in seventh grade when they made that announcement. We were in music class, and the music teacher actually had this shit on television. The the class was put on hold because this was a major event you couldn't escape the oj mania from 94 to 95 and really it carried on to 96 too because they they he got taken to court in a civil trial which he lost and uh yeah man i remember like all of the black people were were jumping for joy when they announced the verdict um you know just because it was a black guy i didn't know about the previous context about him not actually seeing himself as a black guy but uh you know that's neither here nor there uh in 1997 kiss the girls premiered starring morgan freeman and in 2000 scarface released another album the last of a dying breed and in both that and Mr. Scarface's Back are both hip-hop classics. Uh, in 2000, Green Day releases the album Warning, and it did not get the love that it, their previous efforts got. In 2001, in the aftermath of the September 11th attacks, several planned series and events are canceled. Most notably, NBC drops a miniseries planned for spring 2002, which could have united the cast of Law & Order, Law & Order Special Victims Unit, and Law & Order Criminal Intent, dealing with the terrorist attack on New York City. In 2008, former NFL star O.J. Simpson is found guilty of charges of kidnapping and armed robbery. Ha. Ah. Gotcha ass, nigga. In 2011, ESPN pulls Hank Williams Jr.'s longtime opening intro to its Monday Night Football telecast after the singer makes remarks on Fox and Friends earlier in the day, comparing President Obama to Adolf Hitler. Although Williams later apologized for the comments, Williams and ESPN mutually agreed to no longer use the song as the theme for Monday Night Football. Funky honky. And in 2014, blues guitarist and singer B.B. King's last live performance is held at House of Blues in Chicago. R.I.P. to our brother. But later, I'm going to be talking about in 1995, the same day Dub C and the Mad Circle released Curb Servant, the same day O.J. was found not guilty of murdering his ex-wife and her friend Ronald Goldman, the Deftones released their debut album Adrenaline and Man. Even though this happened in 95, I didn't catch on to the Deftones or Adrenaline until high school when I was in Perrysburg, Ohio, going to school with the Whites. And, you know, this is a quintessential album for the new metal movement that was happening in the mid to late 90s uh, from Corn, Limp Biscuit, Papa Roach, uh, you know, you can throw in uh, System of a Down, I guess you could throw them in there. I never really counted Rage Against the Machine. They always kind of stood on their own, even though they did mix metal and rock with rap. But yeah, man, uh, Adrenaline, this is, I don't know if it's my favorite Deftones album. I really like White Pony, but White Pony had to grow on me because White Pony was a a change of pace they started becoming more melodic and it's less screaming but that adrenaline though 
That shit came at a right time for a teenage Steve. It was full of angst. It was a lot of screaming. It's a little bit of hip hop, unintelligible hip hop. Couldn't really make out some of the lyrics, but it sounded good. Today in sports history, in 1942, New York Yankee shortstop Frank Crosetti shoves umpire Bill Summers in Game 3 of the Baseball World Series. He is fined $250 and suspended for 30 days of the 1943 season. In 1951, the shot heard around the world happened. Bobby Thompson hits a three-run homer off Ralph Branca of the Brooklyn Dodgers in the bottom of the ninth inning with one out to give the New York Giants a dramatic 5-4 playoff win and a National League pennant at the Polo Grounds. In 1965, Whitey Ford notches his 232nd win in a season-ending 11-5 victory versus the Boston Red Sox. He becomes the Yankees' winningest pitcher. In 1970, the first umpire strike in MLB history lasts one day during the league championship series. The American League and National League presidents recognize a newly formed MLB Umpires Association, and they negotiate a labor contract. In 1971, American tennis star Billie Jean King becomes the first female athlete to win $100,000 in prize money in a single year when she wins the $4,000 Virginia Slams tournament in Phoenix, Arizona. In 1972, future baseball Hall of Fame left-hand pitcher Steve Carlton wins his 27th game as the Philadelphia Phillies beat the Cubs 11-1 at Wrigley Field, which is almost half of the Phillies' 59 wins. In 1974, 39-year-old Frank Robinson becomes MLB's first African-American manager when he signs as a player manager for the Cleveland Indians, agrees to one-year contract estimated at $180,000. Go Tribe! Go Io! And on that same day, future Basketball Hall of Fame guard Jerry West retires after 14 NBA seasons with the LA Lakers. He has 25,192 career points, averaged 29.1 points per game in 153 playoff games. In 1976, future Baseball Hall of Fame right fielder Hank Aaron singles in his last MLB at-bat and drives in his 2,297th run as the Milwaukee Brewers lose 5-2 versus the Detroit Tigers. In 1981, the Milwaukee Brewers and the Montreal Expos clinched their first ever postseason appearances. The Brewers beat Detroit 2-1 for the AL East title, and the Expos defeat the New York Mets 5-4 for the NL East second playoff spot. In 1989, Oakland Raiders promote 42-year-old Art Shell as the first African-American to be an NFL head coach in modern times, takes over from Mike Shanahan. In 1990, Kansas City third baseman George Brett becomes the first in MLB history to win a batting title in three different decades. He goes one for one in the Royals' 5-2 loss versus Cleveland to win the AL batting title with a 329 average. He's the AL batting champion in 1976 and 1980. And on that same day, Detroit first baseman Cecil Fielder becomes the 11th player in MLB history to hit 50 home runs in a season. He hits the 50th and the 51st in a 10-3 win versus the New York Yankees at Yankee Stadium. In 1992, the Atlanta Braves end the season with a one-zip victory versus the San Diego Padres at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium for a franchise record at the time, 98 wins. In 1993, the Cleveland Indians play their final MLB game at Cleveland Stadium. They lose 4-zip 
to the Chicago White Sox. In 1995, former NFL running back, broadcaster, and actor O.J. Simpson is found not guilty of the murder of Nicole Simpson and Ron Goldman in Los Angeles, California. In 1997, the Carolina Hurricanes lose their first home game, 4-3 versus the Pittsburgh Penguins at Greensboro Coliseum. And on that same day, NHL games are played outside North America for the first time. The Vancouver Canucks beat the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, 3-2 in Tokyo, Japan. In 1999, St. Louis first baseman Mark McGuire hits his 65th homer of the season in a rain-shortened 9-5 win over the Cubs at Bush Stadium. He wins his second straight home run title over Sammy Sosa, who hits his 63rd home run in the same game. Asterix. In 2001, after a 21-season career, Paul Coffey officially retires from the NHL, having won four Stanley Cups with the Edmonton Oilers, finishing second on all-time lists for points by a defensiveman, and playing in 14 All-Star games. And on that same day, San Francisco Giants slugger Barry Bonds has walked for the 171st time in an 11-8 win at Houston. He breaks Babe Ruth's 1923 MLB single-season record for walks. And on that same day in 2001, San Diego outfielder Ricky Henderson scores a run in the third inning of the Padres' 12-5 loss to the LA Dodgers to tie the MLB record of 2,245 runs scored by Ty Cobb. Fuck Ty Cobb. In 2004, New England Patriots win their 18th consecutive NFL game, beating the Buffalo Bills 31-17 at Ralph Wilson Stadium. Tom Brady goes 17-30 for 30 for 298 yards and two touchdowns. Fuck Tom Brady. And on that same day, Seattle Mariners Japanese right fielder Ichiro Suzuki adds two more singles and a three-to-zip defeat to Texas to finish the season with an MLB record of 262 hits. In 2008, former NFL star O.J. Simpson is found guilty of charges of kidnapping and armed robbery. Wow. Ironic. October 3rd, 2008, he gets found guilty of kidnapping and armed robbery. Just 13 years prior, he was found not guilty for murder. Coincidence? I think not. In 2012, Miguel Cabrera goes 0-for-2 in a one-zip Tigers win versus the Royals to end the season as MLB's first Triple Crown winner since Carl Yastrzemski in 1967. He leads the AL with a 330 average, 44 homers, and 139 RBIs. And that was my half-fast sports report. Coming up, I'm going to go over the album Adrenaline, released by the Deftones on this day in 1995. We'll be black after these messages. In today's birthdays for October 3rd, Happy 33rd birthday to American rapper, songwriter, and actor ASAP Rocky. Happy 36th birthday to American basketball player Courtney Lee. Turning 37 today is American singer, songwriter, and actress Ashley Simpson. I know her better as the bitch you can't sing. Happy 41st birthday to American football player Anquan Bolton. Turning 42 today is American wrestler and actor John Morrison. Happy 46th birthday to American singer, songwriter, producer, and actress India Ari. Happy 48th birthday to British actress Lena Headey. Also turning 48 today is Canadian actress and producer Nev Campbell. White Girl Hall of Fame. 
Turning 52 today is American singer, songwriter, actress, and fashion designer Gwen Stefani. White Girl Hall of Fame. Happy 57th birthday to English actor Clive Owen. Turning 59 today is Greek American singer, songwriter, drummer, and producer Tommy Lee. Mr. Pam, if you nasty. Turning 62 today is American comedian, actor, and screenwriter Greg Proops. Happy 64th birthday to English radio and television host Tim Westwood. Both turning 67 today are American minister, talk show host, and political activist Al Sharpton, as well as American baseball player and sportscaster Dennis Eckersley. Turning 69 today is American football coach Bruce Arians. Happy 70th birthday to American baseball player and sportscaster Dave Winfield, the only man to be drafted by the MLB, NFL, and NBA. Black Excellence. Turning 72 today is American singer, songwriter, guitarist, and producer Lindsey Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac. And a very special happy 80th birthday to American singer, songwriter, Chubby Checker. Yeah. Turn it up. Hey. Black. I just need y'all to listen for a minute, man. Keep telling y'all, man, family matters, you Let's go. Hey. Low Breeze and J to the game and my legacy like Kareem. Every day watching through my third eye like could it all be a dream? If I take a loss, then I pay the cost. Pay the payment off, ain't no in between. Trying to light the sun through the up and downs. I'm the biggest star that you ever seen. Serious, rare as alien appearances. We running this shit, period. And it's only a party if we're in it. I be on stage and they cheering it. You talking broke, I ain't hearing it. For you, that's a daily experience. No you say we ain't clearing it. I said let's do an experiment. I'm just gonna take like a year with it. Go underground, work on my sound. Foundation Solid as a pyramid in the lab on my computer. I give a damn about a room building brands for my consumers. Trying to plan a proper future. This ain't no positive rap. This is depositor rap. Hold up, let me just stop in my tracks. It actually is. I'm positive. I'ma need all of my scratch. I'm like a California tool guide. How I brought my folks to the sack. Going up till there's no going back. Them suckers don't know nothing about that. If you listen, I'm here to show the game what it's been missing. I'm on a mission, trying to put me in a good position. If you listen, I'm here to show the game what it's been missing. I'm on a mission, trying to put me in a good position. Used to move that crack rock for the jackpot. Good weed at a fair price, it's a cash crop. On the back blocks, late night like Matlock. But hit or miss, I gave it all that I got See, I don't care what it cost me My goal's arrogant, lofty Had to feel to the grind Cause I ain't making no coffee I can't turn the other cheek Even though I know it's more godly And I struggle with forgiveness I'll cross you back if you cross me Cause these niggas done did me awfully When they finally caught me Haters trying to stop my movement On that cerebral palsy But I ain't tripping, I'm Gucci On a mission to truly Live my life like a movie Whether in a Benz or a Hoopie You got to listen Listen if you listen, I'm here to show the game what it's been missing. I'm on a mission, 
Tryna put me in a good position If you listen I'm here to show the game what it's been missing I'm on a mission Tryna put me in a good position special mention to those no longer with us. Stevie Ray Vaughan was an American musician, singer, songwriter, and record producer. Born Stephen Ray Vaughan on October 3, 1954 in Dallas, Texas, he's best known as the guitarist and frontman of the blues rock band Double Trouble. Other associated acts include singer David Bowie and multi-instrumentalist Shante Vasquez. Although his mainstream career only spans seven years, he is considered an icon and one of the most influential musicians in the history of blues music and one of the greatest guitarists of all time. Born and raised in Dallas, Texas, Vaughn began playing guitar at age seven, initially inspired by his elder brother, Jimmy Vaughn. In 1972, he dropped out of high school and moved to Austin, where he began to gain a following after playing gigs on the local club circuit. Vaughn formed the band Double Trouble in 1978 and established it as part of the Austin music scene. It soon became one of the most popular acts in Texas. He performed at the Montreux Jazz Festival in 1982, where David Bowie saw him play and contacted him for a studio gig, resulting in Stevie playing his blues guitar on the album Let's Dance in 1983, before being discovered by John Hammond, who interested major label Epic Records in signing Vaughn and his band to a record deal. Within months, they achieved mainstream success for the critically acclaimed debut album Texas Flood. With a series of successful network television appearances and extensive concert tours, Vaughn became the leading figure in the blues revival of the 1980s. Playing his guitar behind his back or plucking the strings with his teeth, as Jimi Hendrix did, he earned unprecedented stardom in Europe, which later resulted in breakthroughs for guitar players like Robert Cray, Jeff Healy, Robin Ford, and Walter Trout, amongst others. During the majority of his life, Vaughn struggled with drug and alcohol addiction. He also struggled with the personal and professional pressures of fame and his marriage to Lenora Bailey. He successfully completed rehabilitation and began touring again with Double Trouble in November 1986. His fourth and final studio album, In Step, reached number 33 in the United States in 1989. It was one of Vaughn's most critically and commercially successful releases and included his only number one hit, Crossfire. He became one of the world's most highly demanded blues performers and he headlined Madison Square Garden in 1989 and the Bill Street Music Festival in 1990. On August 27, 1990 at 1250 AM Central, Vaughn and members of Eric Clapton's touring entourage played an all-star encore jam session at Alpine Valley Music Theater in Alpine Valley Resort in East Troy, Wisconsin. They then left for Midway International Airport in Chicago in a helicopter, the most common way for acts to enter and exit the venue as there is only one road in and out heavily used by fans. The helicopter crashed into a nearby ski hill shortly after takeoff. Vaughn and the four others on board, pilot Jeff Brown, agent Bobby Brooks, bodyguard Nigel Brown, and tour manager Colin Smith died. The helicopter was identified as being owned by Chicago-based company OmniFlight Helicopters. Initial reports of the crash claimed that Clapton had also been killed. 
According to findings from an inquest conducted by the coroner's office in Elkhorn, all five victims were killed instantly. The investigation determined the aircraft departed in foggy conditions, with visibility reportedly under two miles, according to a local forecast. The National Transportation Safety Board report stated, as the third helicopter was departing, it remained at a lower altitude than the others, and the pilot turned southeasterly toward rising terrain. Subsequently, the helicopter crashed on hilly terrain about three-fifths of a mile from the takeoff point. The Federal Aviation Administration records showed that Brown was qualified to fly by instruments in a fixed-wing aircraft, but not in a helicopter. Taxicology tests performed on the victims revealed no traces of drugs or alcohol in their systems. Vaughn's funeral service was held on August 31, 1990, at Laurel Land Cemetery in Dallas, Texas. His wooden casket quickly became adorned with bouquets of flowers. An estimated 3,000 mourners joined a procession led by a white hearse. Among those at the public ceremony were Jeff Healy, Charlie Sexton, ZZ Top, Colin James, Stevie Wonder, Bonnie Raitt, and Buddy Guy. Vaughn's grave marker reads, Thank you for all the love you passed our way. He was 35 at the time of his death. Bob Armstrong was an American professional wrestler. Born Joseph Melton James on October 3, 1939 in Marietta, Georgia, he's better known by his ring name, Bullet Bob Armstrong. In the course of his career, which spanned five decades, Armstrong held numerous championships throughout the southeastern United States. His four sons, Joseph Scott, Robert Bradley, Steve, and Brian Gerard, all became wrestlers. In March of 2020, Armstrong was diagnosed with bone cancer in his ribs, shoulder, and prostate, and refused treatment as he knew the cancer was terminal. He died from complications of bone cancer on August 27, 2020, at the age of 80. Rest easy, y'all. On this day in 1995, Adrenaline was released. Adrenaline is the debut studio album by American alternative metal band Deftones, and they were signed by Maverick Records at the time. The majority of the album was produced by Terry Date, while a hidden track titled Fist was produced by Ross Robinson. Stephen Carpenter, Abe Cunningham, and Chino Marino were high school friends. All three went to Sacramento C.K. McClatchy High School together and participated in the city skateboarding scene. Carpenter was a fan of heavy metal. Marino was interested in hardcore punk bands such as Bad Brains, as well as post-punk and new wave bands such as Depeche Mode and The Cure. When Marino learned that Carpenter was a guitarist, he set up a jam session with Cunningham, who played drums. The trio began playing regularly in Carpenter's garage around 1988. They recruited bassist Dominic Garcia sometime after, and the band became a four-piece. When Cunningham left Deftones to join Falusi, another band from Sacramento, Garcia switched instruments and became the band's drummer. Chai Ching filled the void as bassist, and the band recorded a four-track demo soon afterwards. Regarding the recording, drummer Abe Cunningham said, At the time we did the first record, which I really like and think is good, you can tell the band was really young. We'd been playing most of those songs for quite a while, and we were just so happy to be making a record that we didn't really think a whole lot about making the songs better. Frontman Chino Marino felt that Adrenaline was recorded really fast, and he performed all his vocals live with the band in the room using a handheld Shure SM58 microphone. 
Musically, Adrenaline has been described as post-hardcore, alternative metal, and new metal. The single, Seven Words, was released as the first promotional single from the album on December 17, 1995. It was followed by Bored, issued as the second promotional single on April 4, 1996. Music videos were released for Seven Words, Bored, Root, and Engine Number no. 9. The latter song was also featured in the film Law Abiding Citizen. Deftones performed heavily throughout North America to support the album, going on tours with Handsome, Korn, White Zombie, and Super 8. They also opened for Kiss on their Alive Worldwide tour. Adrenaline was praised for its new innovative sound, with critics initially comparing it to a diverse range of acts such as Helmet, Nine Inch Nails, The Cure, Korn, Nirvana, and The Smashing Pumpkins. In 1995, John Wiederhorn of Pulse stated that Adrenaline pitches between gloom-saturated melodies and explosive riffs lashing out like a sleep-deprived paranoiac awakened by noisy neighbors. The rhythms are crisp and crafty, and the vocals resonate both fury and sensitivity in a way that's similar to, but far more blatantly metallic than Nirvana. Critic Catherine Terman wrote in January of 96, if this is what heavy metal is evolving into, it's a damn good thing. Giving the album three out of four stars in her 96 review, Los Angeles Times critic Sandy Masuo praised the album's nuance and blend of musical extremes and various influences. On the outside, Sacramento's Deftones are all pummeling rhythms and high anxiety, but delving further into the music turns up some surprising nuances. Traces of post-punk pop, tinges of rap, a pinch of industrial grit, Chino Marino rants, sobs, croons, and even works some Middle Eastern overtones into his vocals, while Stephen Carpenter's guitar shifts from coarse outbursts to Criff's helmetine precision, a bracing blend of extremes. In his 96 review, Thomas Pasquale of Livewire magazine similarly noted that the album's subtle yet diverse musical influences and the juxtaposition of loud and heavy with soft and melodic. There are many bands these days that lay claim to a diverse section of influences, but no one band is as subtle boisterous, subtly boisterous about their eclectic mix as are the Deftones. Deftones' course is piloted by vocalist and frontman Chino Marino, who expresses his smooth, melodic lyrics emotionally one minute before giving way to a brace of maddened screams the next. Backed by Serene, an apocalyptic guitar of Stephen Carpenter, this yin-yang formula keeps Deftones' debut, Adrenaline, progressively contagious. In a retrospective all-music review of the album, Daniel Jeffrey wrote, Unlike many of their contemporaries, Deftones are very controlled even in the midst of chaos, adding, Throw Abe Cunningham's surprisingly sophisticated drumming into the mix, and you have a band that possesses a far greater degree of nuance than most others that work in the genre. While he noted that there is a bit of sameness in Chino Marino's whispered vocal melodies, which drags the record down a bit, Jeffrey ultimately states that on later albums, the band's progressive tendencies become more developed, but the more straight-ahead material on Adrenaline does not disappoint. A promising debut. In the book The Rough Guide to Heavy Metal, author Essie Barillion wrote that the album still stands as one of the best examples of new metal. Writing for Metal Sucks in June of 2009, Carlos Ramirez noted that the wide range of musical influences in both Adrenaline and Around the Fur helped to establish the band in the underground music scene prior to their larger commercial breakthrough with the third album White Pony. 
The first two albums, Adrenaline and Around the Fur in 97, were both chock full of bombastic guitars, new wave kiss vocal lines, and post-hardcore informed arrangements, and their wide scope sound helped the Sacramento, California band find audiences in various facets of the underground music scene. In critic Tim Coran's 20th anniversary assessment for Diffuser, he wrote, For those who were swept up in the burgeoning new metal movement, Adrenaline was a landmark, a life-changing release. But Deftones never really were a true new metal band. This album is more like hardcore influence post-hardcore than Nookie, and it only scratched at the surface of the experimental metal Deftones would soon step into. While the album was initially unsuccessful, extensive touring and word-of-mouth promotion built the band a dedicated fan base and helped Adrenaline to sell over 220,000 copies. When asked what he attributed the album's success to, bassist Chi Ching responded, One word, perseverance. We've been together for almost eight years, on the road for two, and we do it with honesty and integrity, and the kids can tell. The album was certified gold by the RIAA on July 7, 1999 in recognition of 500,000 units sold. It was eventually certified platinum on September 23, 2008 in recognition of 1 million units sold. Happy 26th anniversary, Adrenaline. Thank you, Deftones. R.I.P. Chi Ching. So that wraps up another edition of Over the Culture Podcast. Please make sure to check out our sister shows, Crushgasm with Kendra every Wednesday and Happen in the 90s with my buddy Matt G every Thursday. Y'all be cool now. Peace. <laughs>